Welcome into Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having phenomenal Thursdays. I had to think there for a minute. It's been a little bit of a long week here uh, in the uh, in the Outkick Mansion. Uh, I don't know what part of the country uh, you guys live all over the place, but we had a little bit of uh, snow, a little bit of ice in Nashville. And first of all, the kids were out of school Tuesday. They were out of school Wednesday, and then they went in two hours late today. So it's been sort of a frenzy associated with that. The weather hasn't actually been that bad. In fact, the weather's actually the worst today, um, but, uh, but it doesn't really add up in, uh, in, any, sort of, uh, in any sort of substantive way uh, why they were only two hours late today despite the weather being the worst. So I'm ready for Friday to get here. I bet you guys are as well. Uh, and so let me go ahead and dive in here. Um, I, the people on Twitter lost their mind uh, when I said that the WNBA is a crappy product and that almost no sports fans watch it. And all of the blue... Ch- I would think I was trending yesterday for having the opinion that the WNBA sucks, that it isn't a very good product, and that almost no one watches it. And, uh, and that's all true. And that's something that the vast majority of Americans agree with, sports fans and otherwise. And... It's really kind of interesting uh, to see the way that all of this breaks down because Twitter has created such an artificial marketplace of ideas, particularly in sports where I have spent a large portion of my time on Twitter since I joined it back in 2009 or 2008, whatever it was, uh, that it's become an echo chamber where you aren't allowed to say things that almost everyone agrees with. And the truth of the matter is this. Last week, everybody was up in arms on social media because WNBA stars weren't getting to fly on chartered private planes to their games. And I'm like, well, why should they? Nobody pays to go to their games. Usually people who fly private are super rich and super successful. WNBA players are neither. And that's because they don't play a very high-level caliber of basketball. I've said this for a long time. It is 100% true. A good state championship caliber high school boys team would smoke the best team in the WNBA. Let me repeat that because it's true and it's important. A good state championship level boys high school team would absolutely smoke the WNBA champions. Give me a team from California, New York, Texas, or Florida. I would bet my entire uh, savings in the bank that the boys' high school team would beat the WNBA team. Give me 25 or more state champions. Oh, because some states are small, right? Like, I don't know how many people play high school basketball in Wyoming. I don't know how many people play in Rhode Island, right? Like some states don't have that big a population. So the state championship basketball team might not be very good there. But for the 25 largest states in America, every single one of those states has a state champion boys basketball team that would obliterate the NBA, uh, WNBA champion in a game. Now, look, Some people like middle school, low-level high school basketball. Most of those people we call parents. 
But if you love the WNBA, you can go buy your WNBA tickets and you can go sit courtside. For most of us, we would rather have $5 in cash than the WNBA team in our city win a championship. That's because the WNBA doesn't have fans. And it's not because the media won't cover the WNBA. ESPN shoves the WNBA down our throats even though nobody cares because they have to do it as part of their partnership with the NBA. The WNBA has never made any money because people don't care. Because women don't care. You know who actually go watch the WNBA? Men. Men are WNBA fans. And there aren't very many of them. But that's who actually goes and watches. So what's interesting about this is when I say all of these, which are irrefutably true, and when I point out that the WNBA has existed basically for 25 years now, a quarter of a century, that it still has no fans, that people still don't care at all about the WNBA, people are like, oh my goodness, how dare you? This is so sexist of you. It's such a misogynistic thing to say. No. Just means the sport sucks and most sports fans don't care about it at all. And of course, at ESPN, they've got a white knight for the WNBA. So this all started because they said, oh, New York City has a new big three. And then they shared a picture of three people that nobody knew. That is artificial engineering, right? If you tell me something that is not true, right? Everybody knew the original big three. Everybody knows Kyrie Irving. Everybody knows James Harden. Everybody knows Kevin Durant. You might not love the NBA. You would recognize if you are a sports fan, all three of those people. Most of you can't even name three WNBA franchises. I don't even know how many there are. Most of you can't name five total WNBA players. Even if you're a diehard basketball fan, you can't do that. That's because the product sucks. And in a capitalistic marketplace, if your product sucks, you lose. Our product doesn't suck. It sometimes astounds me that we are able to dominate at OutKick and keep setting records for our audience. And I don't even have to say anything controversial to get labeled controversial. Saying the WNBA sucks as a product is considered controversial. That's where we are. So I was trending yesterday and I'm like, are you kidding me? This is the best possible advertisement for OutKick imaginable. Because I'm the only person who's brave enough to say what almost every sports fan agrees with, which is the WNBA sucks and we don't care about it. I can't believe this is real life. And then some guy at WNBA, somebody WNBA might as well be, some guy at ESPN uh, hops hops into the comments. One of their social media top employees, directors, and says, uh, that, that I'm stupid and that I don't, uh, that, that I have a, uh, that, that must have had a lobotomy. Um, and look, I don't care. You can say whatever you want about me. But don't try to apologize afterwards. Because when you apologize afterwards for something that you actually mean, all you're doing is further providing evidence of how much BS everything that ESPN does is. Right? When you're an ESPN employee and you say, I'm stupid, and you say that, uh, that I must have had a lobotomy for saying the WNBA sucks and that it's being shoved down our throats for 25 years by ESPN because they have to do that as part of their partnership with the NBA, all of which is true. 
Don't come back and then say, oh, I'm sorry. I was just disappointed. I wasn't, I was late at night. I didn't mean to like tweets that were saying you're stupid uh, and that you're, uh, and that you're, uh, uh, oh, that you got a lobotomy. Now just own it, right? You believe that because you are part and parcel of the woke infrastructure at ESPN that has destroyed that company. Truly has. I believe that every company in America should do away with every bit of diversity and inclusion, people who are employed for that, right? Like every big company now has a diversity and inclusion group or a director of, uh, of, of diversity or something like that. Those are all BS jobs. And ESPN has been taken over by a woke universe that is destroying the brand of that company. And all you got to do is say the WNBA sucks and that's not permissible. And also, it's a function of how rigged Twitter is that I can trend by saying something that almost every sports fan in America agrees with. So thank you. I can't believe that I can win by simply saying things that overwhelming percentages of the American population agree with. Same thing with me saying, hey, men should play against men and women should play against women and men who decide that they're women shouldn't be considered women's athletes. I don't think anyone at ESPN has ever said that publicly. Want to know why OutKick keeps dominating? Because everybody agrees with me and I'm willing to say it publicly. So I think we'll have some stories up a little bit later. We'll see uh, how ESPN... Uh, is going to respond to that, if at all. Uh, But I'll just say this. In October, the numbers reflected that OutKick had one-tenth of the unique audience of ESPN. Um, And that's despite the fact that we're competing online, uh, that we're competing with ESPN, which actually has games, which is what the vast majority of people watch. Ten years ago, we would have had a thousandth or a one-hundred-thousandth of the audience of ESPN. I really do believe this. Ten years from now, OutKick will be more influential when it comes to sports opinion and the number of people who are consuming sports opinion. Not games, because I don't think we're going to ever pay a lot of money to get rights to games. But actual sports opinion, I think OutKick will be more influential than ESPN. I really do. Because what people are desperate for is honesty and authenticity. And you might hate me. You might think that I'm the dumbest SOB that has ever lived. You might be watching this right now furious at me. But you know what? The more time you spend listening, the more you're going to come around and say, you know, Clay just says what he thinks every day. Every day, 100% honest. That's what I do. 15 hours a week of radio. You can't act on radio. You reveal yourself on radio. I've been doing almost 20 years of daily radio now. A lot of you started listening to me when I was doing local radio in Nashville. A lot of you started listening to me even before that when I was just doing guest segments on radio shows all over the country. And if you go look at that, if you read my books, if you read my work, if you watch these shows, you listen to these shows, what you will learn is I'm not trying to make friends. I'm not trying uh, to, uh, to say things just to get attention. I'm saying exactly what I think and the world of sports in particular, but media in general as well, has become so inauthentic and so filled with BS that you can dominate right now in this space just by saying exactly what you believe because that honesty and that authenticity is so rare 
Which brings me back to the open here. The WNBA sucks, and it's not racist, and it's not sexist, and it's not homophobic to say so. It's just that the product stinks and isn't very good compared to men's basketball products. Period. As the overwhelming majority of sports fans out there feel. Now, if you love the WNBA, go get your season tickets. Don't miss a game. That's your right. God bless America. But if you're like the vast majority of Americans and you think the WNBA sucks and you think you're being artificially shunted and engineered into believing that it matters by the ESPNs of the world, make OutKick your homepage and hit refresh refresh all day long and you will be glad that you did and we'll just keep growing like we already are. Uh, Hunter Biden. You guys pay attention to this story? So Hunter Biden's laptop is real, Okay. Uh, I've got, I did a great wins and losses long-form podcast discussion with Miranda Devine, who's been writing about this for years now at the New York Post. She was one of the individuals who broke the story of the Hunter Biden laptop, actually wrote an entire book called Laptop from Hell. It's real. The FBI has had Hunter Biden's laptop since December of 2019. They've known it was real for over three years now. So Hunter Biden has got some brand new attorneys. I don't know who's paying $1,000 an hour for Hunter Biden's brand new attorneys, but just understand he has some brand new attorneys and the brand new attorneys came out yesterday through their allies in the Washington Post, the New York Times, which are basically propaganda outlets for the Democrat Party. And he said, uh, these new attorneys said, uh, Hunter Biden is demanding investigations, criminal investigations into uh, people like Rudy Giuliani, into John Paul MacIsaac, the individual who initially got this laptop in Delaware, uh, into maybe Tucker Carlson. Like, all these different people got letters from Hunter Biden's new lawyers saying that they were demanding uh, an investigation into whether or not they had leaked leaked information that should have remained private and that they shouldn't have had access to from the Hunter Biden laptop. And right after that, we'll continue the discussion. But first a momentary break. Um, So my immediate reaction yesterday when I saw this story was what a lot of you may think. Oh, Hunter Biden is now admitting that this laptop is real, which he has avoided admitting for years now. Because otherwise, if the laptop isn't real, how could you suggest that there should be criminal investigations of individuals who have shared the contents of that laptop? Because if it's not a real laptop, then they haven't actually engaged in sharing of your private information in a criminal nature, right? This is not very complicated. I don't think his attorneys were very smart. I don't think they really understood how this story was going to play, meaning Hunter Biden's attorneys for $1,000 an hour, Hunter, bud, you know, you could have hired me and I'd have given you better advice than this. Um, And so today they came out and they said, wait a minute, the laptop, we're not saying the laptop's real. So all you've done is create a huge mess for yourself because it was a lie that the Hunter Biden laptop was fake Russian disinformation. But at least some of your base believed it because they want to believe lies because they are imbeciles. Now, you've come out and said, actually, on the flip side, we're now acknowledging that the laptop isn't real. Well, then how can you argue for criminal investigations? It's just next level incompetence how all of this is shaking out. So I don't know how many of you saw this. 
Um, a new mask study came out. Hundreds of thousands of mask individuals involved, uh, like 78 different studies. It effectively proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that masks don't work at all. And that everybody you have seen for years now wearing their masks, that all of this stupidity around masking where you had to have a mask on to walk to your restaurant table, but then you could take it off. All of it was cosmetic theater for idiots, okay? Um, So the mask studies are out, but Stephen Colbert, who is probably responsible for destroying late-night comedy more than anyone in the history of late-night comedy. I grew up loving David Letterman. I would watch David Letterman as much as I possibly could. Uh, When I was a college kid, I got to go watch the filming of the David Letterman show in person in his Ed Sullivan Theater there in the heart of Broadway. And it was one of the coolest things I got to do in college. I was ecstatic. I'd still like to meet David Letterman uh, because I spent so much time as a kid watching him. But here's the reality. Um, Stephen Colbert is not funny. And uh, several years ago, when Trump became president, his show was failing, floundering. Nobody was watching it. And so he decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm basically going to start to do left-wing propaganda. I'm going to give up on comedy. And so he designed his entire show around left-wing comedic attacks on Donald Trump. That was the whole show. And from a business perspective, it worked. I mean, it was propaganda. It wasn't traditional comedy. But there were so many people whose brains were broken by Donald Trump that they uh, raced to go watch Stephen Colbert. And then Stephen Colbert was successful and he started to rise in the rankings from last place to first place and everybody else in late night television, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, everybody, Trevor Noah, I think, everybody but Greg Gutfeld, all of them decided we're going to do left-wing, anti-Trump propaganda shows instead, instead of late night comedy shows. And the result is comedy's dead, right? Because when I was growing up and probably when a lot of you guys were growing up, late night comedy made fun of everybody evenly. Bill Clinton got ridiculed to the high heavens every night. Bob Dole, when he ran against Bill Clinton, got crushed. Ronald Reagan got crushed. George Bush Sr. got crushed. Whoever the president was, Democrat or Republican, they got made fun of. Now, Obama didn't get made fun of that much because people, I think, were afraid of being called racist, which is its own story. Uh, But in general... Also, Obama didn't create a lot of drama. But Biden's an imbecile. He's an idiot. He does things that are stupid all the time. He can't walk up and down the stairs of Air Force One. He tried to say hi to a dead congressperson. He can't read off of the teleprompter. He is a fertile, incredibly fertile region of mockery. Yet, they couldn't make fun of him because they had gone so far left wing. Well, I saw this clip this morning as I was getting ready for the Clay and Buck show, and even for a world where everyone's stupidity is well-known in the Colbert universe, my jaw dropped when I saw a clip from his show, and they cut to the audience, and, and Colbert was talking about how Biden is announcing that COVID is over starting May 11th. I don't know why May 11th is the date when the COVID emergency ends, uh, but... He's saying that. And then the camera spins to his crowd and everyone is wearing masks. Did you know The View 
is still requiring its audience to wear masks. Did you know that the Colbert Show in February of 2023, three years into COVID, its people in the crowd, its studio audience, are still wearing masks. And and I looked at it and I couldn't stop thinking about all of these woke white people. I think everybody in the crowd was white. All of them were wearing masks. It's anti-science. There's no basis whatsoever in any degree to support the idea that you should be wearing a mask. And yet, as you break it down, they all feel like they are on the side of truth, justice, and the side of history, which will reward them in the years ahead. And it's so insanely broken, their brains, that they're still wearing masks three years later after getting four or five COVID shots, probably after all having COVID, and despite the fact that every evidentiary aspect out there makes it clear that these things don't actually work. And I couldn't help but just feel sorry for all of these people who have had their brains broken by COVID and are never going to be able to live normal lives. I mean, it really is sad. But also, all of those people have spent years judging people like you and me who have said, yeah, you know, I think the data makes it clear that there's no basis whatsoever to wear masks and the COVID shots don't provide much safety for young and healthy people. Um, And I just look at it and I say, I don't know how those people, if they are still wearing masks to go watch a comedy show, are ever going to have their brains get back to normalcy. Um, speaking of, uh, of normalcy, there's a new study out. I'm reading from Bloomberg right now. Uh, I saw this uh, earlier today, and we talked a little bit about it, and I just accidentally deleted it. Um, but the stories, I'm going to have to pull it up again. The story is from uh, Bloomberg, and it says Merck's COVID drug has been linked to new virus mutations according to a study. I believe what is going to continue to come out, let me read uh, the opening paragraph of this story for you. Merck's COVID pill is giving rise to new mutations of the virus in some patients according to a study that underscores the risk of trying to intentionally alter the pathogen's genetic code. Some researchers worry the drug may create more contagious or health-threatening variations of COVID, which has killed more than 6.8 million people globally over the past three years. Uh, All right. Um, So they're noticing that taking this Merck COVID shot is leading to more mutations. And what you're slowly starting to recognize here is This was why they said everybody needed to get the COVID shot. Because otherwise, mutations would spread widely. I think what the data is going to continue to show about the Pfizer and the Moderna shots is not only do they not work, because they don't work, right? They don't provide really much protection at all outside of a limited few weeks of efficacy. Not only do the shots not work, I think they actually make you more likely to get COVID. And for young, healthy people, I think they actually create more health-related issues than 
for people who never got the COVID shot at all. That's what the data is beginning to reflect. That's what I think it is going to show more and more uh, going forward as this continues. I'll keep you updated on here because a lot of people, certainly at NBC, CBS, ABC, Washington Post, New York Times, uh, and, and, and the usual suspects there, MSNBC, CNN, they certainly aren't going to tell you anything about this. Um, Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers is under fire. I woke up this morning and trans activists on TikTok are upset at Mr. Rogers because as a part of his show, and I'll admit I used to watch Mr. Rogers back in the day, Mr. Rogers says, boys are boys, girls are girls, and you grow up the sex in which you are born. He is right. This was something that was universally understood and accepted until basically the last 15 or 20 years. And now we are teaching kids, if you're a little bit uncomfortable, if you're a little bit unhappy, it might be because you're not actually the gender in your body. Uh, And we're even telling kids that when they are born, and I'm fortunate enough to have been in three delivery rooms and have watched three babies be born, I have seen the doctor look down and say, it's a boy, three different times. And then when she brings the baby over to me and her mom, I can see the genitals are pretty clear. That's a baby boy. I didn't have any girls. I feel like if I had girls, also, that's a baby girl. We'd be able to tell as we have been for tens of thousands of years, as long as humans have been giving birth. Um, And I got to tell you, kind of love this, that Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers is now under fire. He's dead, so they can't cancel him. Uh, But this idea that somehow it's unacceptable to uh, admit that boys are boys and girls are girls, especially for young children. Again, if you're over 18, make whatever choice you want, is why it's so important what kids are being taught. Their brains are being broken by people who think that they're being tolerant and are actually, I think, destroying uh, many of these kids in terms of their ability to grow into healthy adults. Uh, I'm going to talk about this more tomorrow uh, on the Clay and Buck show. But during the Tyree Nichols funeral in Memphis yesterday, Al Sharpton was one of the keynote uh, speakers, one of the eulogists uh, at the funeral. And I don't know why Al Sharpton would be selected. Um, He's mostly been a race hustler for his entire career, has spread discord, disagreement, and disdain across this country through identity politics, which have, I believe, been a cancerous growth inside of the Democrat Party that has destroyed that party. Um, so he said Al Sharpton did that if Tyree Nichols had been white, this would have never happened to him. And most people on the MSNBC and the CNN spectrum all nodded their heads and said, you're right. He's a victim because he's black. I I just don't believe that. I think Tyree Nichols died because there were five bad cops in Memphis and the data supports, and I continue to hammer this home because I think it's significant. 75% of people killed by police every year, according to the Washington Post's own database, are white, Asian, Hispanic, and black. 75%. White, sorry. 75% white, Hispanic, and Asian. Only 25% of the people killed by police in 
basically every year for the last decade or so that we've been keeping track aggressively of this have been black. Now, you could say, well, black people are only 12 or 13% of the percentage of the population, so they are more likely to be killed than other races. But it's actually not true when you look at police interactions and consider violent crime. Remember, almost everybody shot by police is male. That doesn't mean that police are sexist. It's because men overwhelmingly commit violent crimes and men overwhelmingly threaten violence against police officers. So if you went out there right now and you said, oh, 98%, I think is the number, of people shot and killed by police every year, maybe some years it's 95%, are men. That means the police are sexist against men. Why aren't they shooting more women? Most people would laugh at you because police don't interact very often with your grandma. They don't interact very often, frankly, with people over the age of 60 in situations of danger. Most people that are committing crimes are men roughly between the ages of 16 and 40, right? And so what you see out there is police, 75% of people shot and killed by police are Asian, Hispanic, or white, but over 50% of all murders are committed by black people. That's a stat that makes everybody like get really uncomfortable because nobody wants to talk about it. And the vast majority of all those murders committed by black people have black victims. And so when you've got a guy like Al Sharpton speaking at Tyree Nichols' funeral, he is directly spreading falsehoods. He is telling people that are in an emotional state inside of that funeral. I think Tyree Nichols was completely uh, treated way worse than George Floyd. I think that the police officers in Memphis deserve to face charges. But I think Al Sharpton makes situations more likely to be worse between police and the community they're trying to protect when he says that this was a race-based decision by five black police officers and doesn't discuss what the actual data reflects, which is only one in every four people shot and killed by police each year is black. Three out of four, 75%, are white, Asian, or Hispanic. Facts matter. Data matters. How many people have you heard share those facts with you? You can go look them up for yourself. They're 100% true in the Washington Post database. Uh, Finally, Aaron Rodgers says he understands that he may be on his way out uh, at Green Bay and that if he is on his way out at Green Bay, where is he going to end up? I think that's really kind of intriguing to think about. Um, It seems like right now the Jets may be the most likely destination for Aaron Rodgers. I don't like that move if I'm Aaron Rodgers uh, because the Jets going head-to-head with the Dolphins, who I think have a better roster, going head-to-head with the Bills, who definitely have a better roster, and going head-to-head with the Patriots, who are right now a better team. If you look in the NFC North, Bears aren't good, Lions are looking better, uh, and the Vikings are kind of a paper tiger, uh, for lack of a better way of describing it. I think in Green Bay, you're better off, even with the talent situation there, than you would be with the Jets, but we're going to continue to track this and follow it going forward. All right. I appreciate all of you. Um, and I hope all of you have a fantastic, uh, what is today? Thursday. And I will be back with you tomorrow. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. This has been Outkick, the show.